This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Welcome into the 2020 edition of the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz podcast. This is the June 5th episode, and we, as always, are dedicated to answering all of those fantasy football questions. I am your host, Mike Randall. You can follow me on Twitter at Randall Rant. And today, folks, there's no better person to kick off our 2020 podcast than the fantasy football godfather himself, Evan Silva. He is the co-founder at EstablishTheRun.com, just a fantastic resource for all fantasy football knowledge. The crown jewel of his work is the award-winning matchups column, which thoroughly examines every single skill player and game each week. Evan is a DFS and best ball enthusiast while also competing in the high-stakes draft-only season-long leagues. He does it all. He's an absolute must-follow on Twitter. If you're not following him and you love fantasy football, you're doing it wrong. Folks, when we recorded this initially, both Evan and I were in a huge thunderstorm in both his area and mine. So unfortunately, the first three minutes were removed and not saved. In that time, I only asked Evan one question, and that was how he got started to establish the run. And then we got into all of the fantasy football questions right after that, which you'll hear in a moment. In that initial question, he talked about how he and Adam Levitan, his co-founder, both worked at Roto World together, and they decided to start the website last year, which had a huge success in its first year. Both he, Adam, all the guys over there at EstablishTheRun.com, Pat Thorman, Josh Hermsmeyer, do an outstanding job. He said he was pretty much betting on himself and Adam, and so far it's been a huge success. So he's very excited for year two. And like I said, that did not record. I am sorry about that. Mother Nature won out, but we did get going right away after that, and you will hear all of the fantasy football questions coming up now, starting with the first question about Christian McCaffrey. So here he is, Evan Silva. Follow him on Twitter, at Evan Silva. First fantasy football mailbag, Rotoviz podcast of the season. Here it is. Enjoy. Absolutely, Evan. We have to check out EstablishTheRun.com there if you have not. Let's just jump right into it. Since Priest Holmes finished first in PPR scoring for running backs in both 2002 and 2003, no player has repeated as the top RB in fantasy. I know you have Christian McCaffrey at the top of your rankings there over at the website. Is he going to do it again? Do you believe it? Or is there somebody else who's going to break the streak? Talk to me about Christian McCaffrey. Number one overall. Uh, he averaged 8.7 more PPR points per game, who was Dalvin Cook, who has they're kind of pretty explosive. Uh, I like what they have going on at wide receiver with D.B. Anderson. And uh, at tight end, I think that Ian Thomas is a guy that can take a big step for the last several seasons. I think that that 
that supporting cast is going to be good enough to offer is going to be a great, great fit in Joe Brady's offense. Joe Brady, of course, um, engineered one of the best, the most prolific offenses in college football history last season at uh, LSU. They played a really up-tempo, fast style. And although, yeah, that, that's that statistic is worth mentioning and, you know, running backs repeating as the RB1 overall, it's it's unlikely at the end of the day. I mean, you, you can't say that you can say that Christian McCaffrey is the favorite, but to say that he's likely to repeat. I mean, he's, he's just not likely. There's just too many other running backs. You know, he he could suffer an injury, knock on wood. He won't. Um, but I think that he does have the highest probability still, even in the grand scheme of things. Um, he is, you know, from a percentage standpoint, unlikely, but I still think that he is the, the absolute favorite and we have him as the clear cut number one RB entering the 2020 season. Yeah, that 8.7 more PPR points per game over Dalvin Cook. Uh, that's going to be our FFPC stat attack here on the podcast. FFPC is home to the best fantasy football leagues and contests in the industry. Dynasty best ball, everything you name it. World famous FFPC main event. So to join more folks, go to myffpc.com. That's myffpc.com. Of course, here at Rotoviz, you have a handful of tools designed specifically for that FFPC domination like the Dynasty Command Center. But that stat that Evan just gave you there is so true. Probably, Evan, I think, locks in McCaffrey's floor, right? Providing that there's no injury, you want safety early in the draft. And whether he's one, two, or three, he's going to have a, a big, big season because he's so valuable in both aspects of the offense. Absolutely. And, and on a week-to-week basis, he's such a high-floor, high-upside player. I mean, he's a guy that consistently gets you 20 points per week and has those 40-point explosions that will almost single-handedly win the week for you. You know, staying with the running backs, there are several key pivot players that could make or break the fantasy season. And the one that I find myself debating about is Todd Gurley. He signed that one-year prove-it deal with Atlanta, has the knee tendonitis, but Evan, on paper... He has one of the least threatening depth charts of any lead back. He had a 5.5% TD rate last year, which translated to 14 total touchdowns. He was only 19th though among running backs in rushing yards and 17th in carries. Now, Atlanta has an explosive offense, should be an improved offensive line as well. They're healthy. What are your projections for Gurley, and where are you pulling the trigger on him in, in the best ball formats that you've been in lately? And this is another team that, has a really good fantasy, really fantasy-friendly environment uh, because their defense isn't going to be good. They're going to play in a lot of 34-27 to type games. Um, His competition is really weak. I mean, Brian Hill, Quadri Allison, Ito Smith, these guys are replacement-level players. And you mentioned that offensive line. You know, they're getting back all of their starters from last year. And uh, they invested first-round picks into Caleb McGarry, a right tackle, and Chris Lindstrom at right guard, and those guys were both injured quite a bit in their first seasons. Those guys will be back healthy. They're getting back one of the best centers in the league and Alex Mack, one of the better left tackles in the league, and Jake Matthews, James Carpenter at left guard, who has a lot of experience, probably the weak link of the line, but, I mean, he's made a lot of starts in this league. Um, you know, they have one of the most stable quarterback situations in football, one of the most stable uh, situations when it comes to number two, number one and number two receivers. Um, and they're going to be playing uh, 11 of their 15 game, 15 fantasy-relevant games will be played indoors this season. You go back and look at the history of Matt Ryan. He has been um, a little bit better uh, historically when playing indoors. So I think that that gives them a little bit of a boost. And Todd Gurley, you, you, you know, the, the risk is evident with Todd Gurley. But 
last season, you know, he did play in 15 games. As the season progressed, he took on more and more snaps. Um, and so, and he was able to handle that without breaking down physically. I think that at some point he probably is going to break down physically, but at the cost of, you know, RB 13 to RB 15, which is where his ADP is right now. I think that he is worth the risk, uh, maybe around that three, four turn. In the best ball leagues that I've been drafting, Evan, if I'm drafting towards the end of round one, it is so tempting to go back-to-back wide receiver with a Michael Thomas who dropped to me with the eighth pick, something like that. But the running backs go away so quickly. They're so shallow that you look at Todd Gurley, if he gives you 10 touchdowns, even if he has limited rushing, he's probably going to be an RB1 and be worth the investment. Yeah, and I think that he can take a big step forward really bouncing back as a receiver. He did not have his best uh, season as a receiver last year, and I think he's going to get a bunch of targets on a team that is going to be playing from behind and also a team that you know lost its third receiver uh, in the second half of last year in Mohamed Sanu and is going to be breaking in a new tight end. Um, and you know it remains to be seen, especially with no, no OTAs. Um, you know, it's looking like no mini camps. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with training camp, but definitely limited practice reps for uh, Hayden Hurst to be able to jump right into that Austin. I don't think he's going to be able to get back to that Austin Hooper level. So they, they have a lot, an abundance of unaccounted for targets. And I think that Todd Gurley can soak up quite a bit, of, quite a few of them. On your pod with Adam Levitan recently, you touched on some players that you're above consensus on with respect to the FFPC best ball ADP. So I picked out four here that I think are interesting. First one right off the bat, I ended up doing the Sirius XM League with Jake Seeley last year. I nailed Juju Smith-Schuster at the end of the first round, Evan. I had a couple beverages along the way with that pick, but <laughs> you're high on Juju coming back this year, I think. You're above consensus on him, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, by, by a lot. By a lot. Um, we have him as a top 20 overall player. Now you have to understand you don't have to draft him in the top 20 uh, to get him this year. You can almost always get him in the third round. Very often he will fall to the end of the third round, right around that three, four turn. So if you start, let's say running back, running back, let's say you start Joe Mixon at, you know, 10 overall, and then you come back and take Miles Sanders at what, 14 overall, um, or Kenyon Drake or something like that. Uh, and then you come back and you can get what I believe is going to be a wide receiver one this year in Juju Smith-Schuster late in the third round. Um, and I think that the, just the return of Ben, like we can pretty much throw out what happened last year first of all ben went down in week two he was really injured in week one went down in week two for the rest of the season and juju smith schuster himself battled all kinds of injuries a knee injury um you know a concussion Uh, he just was not himself now he's entering his contract year you know this is a player that had more receiving yards than any player in league history uh entering his age 23 season um and I think that, you know, that Steelers offense in 2018 led the NFL in pass attempts. And I think that with Ben coming back, it's going to they're, they're going to return to being a, a, an extremely pass heavy offense. Ben is going to be running the show. The risk, of course, is that Ben, you know, Ben's durability. Um, but I think that it's, it's likelier than not. We get 13, 14, 15 games out of Ben. And in that scenario, Juju Smith-Schuster competes for the league lead in, in targets at the the, the kind of pushback against Antonio against Juju Smith-Schuster is that he doesn't have Antonio Brown anymore to take coverage, and he was maybe a, a product of 
Antonio Brown playing outside. I'm not buying into that because we, we know that at the end of the day, what translates, what correlates to fantasy points most at the wide receiver position is targets. And as long as Ben is healthy, as long as Juju is healthy, targets are not going to be a problem for Juju Smith-Schuster. I think that he can absolutely average 10 a game. And um, he's going to be a player that I'm, I'm super, super overweight on this year, probably in DFS as well. Yeah, another one that I was in lockstep with you on is Marvin Jones. He's on yep. the, quote, bad side of 30. But with Matt Stafford last year, I used the Rotovitz Game Splits app, which is tremendous. In the eight games that he played last year with Matthew Stafford, 5.3 receptions, 67 yards. He was getting over seven targets, 0.75 touchdowns per game. So that's on pace with Stafford for 12, 16.5 PPR points per game. That would place him at wide receiver six if he continued. So talk about Marvin Jones there in, in what should be a, a potent offense with Stafford returning. Yeah, the Lions were playing really good offense uh, in the first half of the se- of last season um, until Stafford went down. Stafford was on pace for 38 touchdown passes, 10 interceptions. Lions were averaging 25.5 points per game. That would have ranked eighth in the NFL. They were averaging almost 400 uh, t- yards from scrimmage per game, which w- would have ranked fourth in the NFL. Um, Marvin Jones did have that four-touchdown game mixed in there to kind of spike his statistics but that's actually something that he's now done twice in his career and like you know for a guy who's ADP I, I, I was just comparing Kenny Galladay's last 16 games to Marvin Jones last 16 games and they're almost identical in terms of how many fantasy yep. points they've scored over their last 16 games apiece Kenny Galladay's ADP is wide receiver eight Marvin Jones wide receiver 43 um, so that's a massive, massive gap in between those two players that sh- should probably be a lot closer. We do have Marvin Jones, um, believe in the somewhere in the 30s and the early to mid 30s, and Galladay right around wide receiver 13, wide receiver 15, somewhere in there. Um, and we believe that they they should be ranked tighter than they are than how they're being drafted. Marvin Jones is less consistent than Kenny Galladay, but at that you know, depressed cost. Like I'm going to take the guy who gives me the ability to have spike weeks because that's how you, you know, get a, get a competitive advantage on your opponent. Um, yeah. And Marvin Jones is very, very capable of those blow up weeks. He had them in Cincinnati uh, and he's had them in Detroit. Yeah. FFPC last seven days, ADP wide receiver 39 for Marvin Jones. Before we continue with our interview with Evan, I just want to take a moment here and talk about Bet Online. There is no shortage of action going on. Our exclusive partner here, Bet Online at Rotoviz. NASCAR is back. Bet Online has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get in on. You can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24 7, or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, which is like a March Madness style NFL simulation tournament that you can enter for free. And live right now on Bet Online's YouTube channel, you can find an exclusive interview with ex-Chicago Bulls Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they're calling the final dance. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all of the action. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. And now let's get to someone you may be lower on. I, I don't get this one at all either. 
recency bias is is reigning supreme here with Raheem Mostert of San Francisco. He is at RB25 right now in FFPC best balls. And I I think they're missing the the, the story here. Jeff Wilson, McKinnon's probably back. Of course, Tevin Coleman. So talk to me, Raheem Mostert, Evan. I think people are are way overvaluing the recency bias. Yeah, and it's not just the committee aspect, although that is a big knock against Raheem Mostert. But he had about an eight-game run last year, including the playoffs, of being the 49ers' lead back. And he didn't have more than two targets in any of those games. So you are, are overpaying for a running back that is involved in a deep committee and who doesn't catch the football. And, you know, I, I mean, I like Raheem Mostert. Like, I've, I've always really liked Raheem Mostert. He, uh, he was one of the first players that I ever made a lot of money on playing preseason DFS. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, that, yeah, but back when he was with the Eagles, he would have had just monster games. Like all the other Eagles backup running backs would be injured. In would step Raheem Mostert, who's like a 90, 90th percentile athlete and you know was a track star. He has that in his history. Um, he was he was a, a track star at Purdue, actually. And I'm really an underrated player. But we definitely the shark on Raheem Mostert here from an ADP standpoint. And the last one here, I just broke down an article for Last Word on Pro Football. Every wide receiver, too. I ranked them from 32nd to 1st. And, of course, I ended up Calvin Ridley at the top. I I think his upside is huge. Consolidated target share there. And I know you like Calvin Ridley as well this year. Absolutely. I have him as the wide receiver 8, even ahead of DeAndre Hopkins, which I know is very, very strong against consensus. Consensus has DeAndre Hopkins right now as either the wide receiver three or the wide receiver four. And I've got him like in the wide receiver nine, wide receiver 10 range. Um, And Calvin Ridley ahead of him. I like Calvin Ridley's floor uh, because um, I think this Falcons offense in in their passing game, they're going to be very, very, very concentrated. It reminds me a lot of Tampa Bay's offense last year. We knew that they were going to throw the ball a ton and we knew where the ball was going to go. And that predictability, that floor on Calvin Ridley is really, really high. And then, and, you know, especially with um, cha- uh, changing out the tight ends, um, you know, that, that third receiver situation, I don't think that Russell Gage is going to step in and see 100 targets. Um, and so Calvin Ridley is going to dominate targets, I think, in, in Atlanta. And then that upside really comes into play if something happens to Julio Jones, who is now 31 years old, had the, uh, the lowest yards per target average of his career. Uh, this past season. Uh, and so if he starts to fall off and we see Calvin Ridley assume an equal or even greater uh, target share percentage than Julio Jones, then all bets are off. I think Calvin Ridley can be a top five wide receiver one. Absolutely. And of course, Hayden Hurst comes over former first round pick. So he has the draft capital in his pedigree, but it's hard to envision him having uh, his ceiling. His high, high ceiling is probably the year that Austin Hooper had last year. Right. Fifth with 75 receptions, 97 targets. That was sixth. So even if Hayden Hurst breaks out here, there's going to be a lot of targets left over from Hooper that could definitely go to Ridley. Absolutely. And again, you know, I think that this team is going to be playing from behind quite a bit uh, in uh, Warren Sharp's strength of schedule ratings where he uses opponent Vegas win totals to uh, you know forecast strength of schedule. The Falcons have one of the five toughest schedules in the league. That suggests that they're going to be in a lot of negative game script situations. Again, they play 11 of their 15 fantasy relevant games indoors. Um, yeah, this is an offense that I think is going to be very, you know, pretty easy to predict uh, because we know where the ball is going to go. 
Evan, what's the first memory you can remember about the NFL as a kid? The first moment you became a fan or a play that made you say, you know what, I'm hooked? Uh, probably watching um, watching like Sunday night football over at uh, or uh, yeah, Sunday night football over at uh, my grandfather's house and listening to John Madden and, and Pat Summerall. Yeah, yeah, that was that. That's probably my. That's definitely my earliest memory of the NFL. You know, the father of a good friend of mine met John Madden once in a bar and and just started asking him some questions. And he started diagramming plays on a napkin right in front of him there at the bar. So what you see is what you get with him. He handed him the napkin. He still has it. I mean, you can't make any sense of it. It's got lines and everything. But like that old Telestrator, right? He was tremendous. He was. He was excellent. Uh, old faces in new places. I have a question here from Brian from Ledgewood, which says, I'm a big weight on QB guy in redraft formats. I think Phillip Rivers is flying under the radar. They have a great offensive line, ton of weapons. I know he's 38. His arm strength is less than it used to be, but he did have 4,600 yards last year, 8.7 yards per attempt. What are your expectations for Rivers and this Colts offense in general? Well, I think that what they're going to ask from Phillip Rivers is not to do what he did last year and you know, really be the focal point and the centerpiece of their offense. I think that they want to be more, a lot more balanced from a run-pass ratio. You know, they traded up in the second round to draft Jonathan Taylor. They didn't do anything with Marlon Mack. He's coming back. Naheem Hines is coming back. Um, all five of their offensive line starters return. And I think what they're going to ask is for Phillip Rivers to be a lower-volume uh, sort of game manager who plays with efficiency. And I do think that Phillip Rivers is going to be a, a real-life upgrade for the Colts over Jacoby Brissett. But I think from a fantasy standpoint, uh, my expectations are, are, are pretty low. He adds nothing with his legs. And I think that this team is built to run the football. And I think that that's what they want to do. Um, their receiver core, I think, you know, with T.Y. Hilton coming back, they definitely have more explosiveness. And I, I like the future prospects of Michael Pittman. Um, you know, I, I, I have optimism that Paris Campbell can be the player that we thought he would be coming out of Ohio State after just a brutally uh, injury, uh, disfortunate first season in the NFL. Um, so I, I do kind of like their weapons, but I think that their their strength really is in the trenches. And um, they're another team that has a really soft schedule. Uh, so actually, I think Warren Sharp has them with the softest schedule in the entire league. And that would support more run-friendly um, you know, play play with the lead game scripts. So uh, he's I, I like Philip Rivers fine as like a, a mid you know midway to to back end quarterback too. But um, relying on he to, him to be my starter, I I, I want a little bit more upside. Since 2011, at least one rookie running back had finished the season as an overall RB12 or better. Now, that streak was broken last year when Josh Jacobs finished as running back 15. And Paul from Boston wants to know, who's going to be the top rookie RB this year? And will a rookie crack the top 12? I use the Rotovidge player usage app, which is great. And Jacobs really had the usage early in the season, but wasn't Evan involved in the passing game. And they've made some changes there now. So I'm curious to see what do you think this year with the rookie running backs is someone finally going to get back into that top 12 or are we going to follow more of a Jacobs pattern where they're used but it's still an RBBC which prevents that the rookies from getting into the top 12. See I think that Jonathan Taylor could be at that same risk that Josh Jacobs was where he has just a phenomenal year as a rusher but is not heavily used in the passing game and you cannot underestimate how 
you know, how impactful that is to have a running back that is used extensively in the passing game and with Naheem Hines there and uh, Marlon Mack. I think it's going to be a struggle for Jonathan Taylor to get to 30 receptions. And, you know, Josh Jacobs, of course, last year only had 20 uh, in what I believe uh, 13 games. And I think that Jonathan Taylor is probably going to be right on that same on that same uh, passing game trajectory. I think that Clyde Edwards Hilaire should be the going away favorite to be um, a top 12 running back uh, in the in the FFPC full PPR scoring. And he plays in, you know, just such an optimal environment. I do think that Damian Williams is going to stay involved, but I actually think that Damian Williams can maintain uh, flex, like viability, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire can be a fringe RB1, uh, you know, a guy who has a chance to catch 50 or 60 passes, you know, uh, score three or four rushing touchdowns, score three or four receiving touchdowns, and finish in that top 12. Evan, what skill have you learned during the quarantine? Cooking a meal, cleaning something. What skill have you learned as a result of the restrictions on this coronavirus? I've become a lot better at taking naps. <laughs> uh, just being <laughs> laid down and taking a nap. A siesta, right? I mean, what else are we doing? Right. Sounds good. Exactly. Well, I felt like Cliff Kingsbury's air raid offense had a little bit of a siesta last year at the beginning of, of yep. the season, but it did pick it up the second half of the year. I love Kyler Murray early on in my preseason rankings, Konami Code. He did have a great three-game stretch there with the overall QB9, QB4, and QB6 performances in weeks 9 to 11. David Johnson out. You have DeAndre Hopkins in now. He was the QB11 last season. Where are you on Kyler Murray and the Cardinals offense this year in his sophomore campaign? I have him quarterback five. So my, my uh, number one quarterback is Mahomes. Number two, Lamar Jackson. Those guys right next to each other, literally, uh, e- even in, in my top 150 overall rankings. Then I have Dak Prescott, number three. Uh, Josh Allen, number four. And Kyler Murray, number five. I think Kyler Murray, per FFPC ADP, is the quarterback three, if I'm not mistaken, ahead of Dak Prescott, or uh, at least it's really close. I think that you know the impact of being able to pull out Demir Bird and Keyshawn Johnson and Trent Sherfield, who played a ton of snaps last year, those three guys did. And those guys are like preseason backups. Being able to pull those guys out of the offense and just drop in DeAndre Hopkins and, you know, Larry Fitzgerald playing in the slot, Christian Kirk probably playing in the slot in their four receiver sets, which they used on 33% of their snaps last year. And then Andy Isabella playing on the opposite side. You know, I think that that is just going to be a huge, huge upgrade. Um, I like the way that they ran there. And then Kenyon Drake uh, really added to their passing game as well. Um, You know, their offensive line played a lot better than I think most people expected last year. They added the, they they stole Josh Jones, who a lot of people thought would be a first round pick, stole him early in the third round. Um, You know, and I I think that that there's every reason to believe that their offense is going to continue to trend upward. And Kyler Murray, of course, is going to be, a huge, huge part of that. Uh, so that's why I have him in the top five. Yeah, you nailed it. Murray right now, QB3, according to FFPC. That's 56 overall. He's four spots ahead of Dak Prescott there. So Konami code quarterbacks certainly are all the rage, and, and they just give you so much. You did a, you do a podcast every year with Matt Kelly on Roto Underworld where you annually break down the frustrations of a particular NFL team. Last year was the Giants. I, I think that should have got an Emmy, to be honest with you. This year was the Texans. 
lot of turnover in that offense, you know, and I'm starting to swing Evan the other way under Sean Watson because, you know, they lost a lot. Bill O'Brien, what is he doing? He has way too much control, doesn't deserve it. But now I'm looking at it going, you know, if Will Fuller can stay healthy, they do have Brandon Cooks. He's a tremendous value. I'm starting to come around there. Randall Cobb is fine as a wide receiver three and Deshaun makes everybody better. So uh, curious, I know your feelings on Bill O'Brien. I agree with you, but what do you think there about uh, the, the Watson, the Texans offense and, and can we possibly get 16 games of Will Fuller? Cause that would be a bonanza if we could. That would be an absolute bonanza. Um, yeah. So with Deshaun Watson, uh, I have him as a quarterback six. So still fairly high on him. The Texans, I think are going to be a worse team that plays from behind more. Um, they went 10 and six last year, but they really outkicked their advanced metrics. They actually had a negative uh, point differential. They had a minus seven point differential and they went eight and three in one score games and eight and three and one score games historically tend to really be coin flips. So I think they're really at risk of um, some, some, some really severe negative regression there from a win loss standpoint. Um, they, uh, you know, but I, I think that, that Deshaun Watson with his dual threat ability and, um, you know, the, all the speed that they have cobbled together around him I mean, they've got Will Fuller, they've got Kenny Stills, they've got Brandon Cooks, as you mentioned, and then Randall Cobb actually had, I mean, he had over 800 yards in Dallas last year. Yep. Um, I think that there are some reasons to believe that, that, that kind of, um, that formula, uh, in the pass catcher core can mesh well with Deshaun Watson. But the reason I don't have him in the top five is the loss of DeAndre Hopkins. You know, you go back to even Deshaun Watson's career at Clemson. He had that back shoulder contested catch winner yeah. in Mike Williams. He had it, you know, every year of his career so far with Deshaun Watson or with uh, DeAndre Hopkins. And now he doesn't have it. And I do wonder, you know, th- I think that just adds some risk to him. But, I, you know, I love Deshaun Watson playing with urgency, playing in comeback mode. There is no more fun quarterback to watch and really no more productive quarterback outside of, like, Patrick Mahomes in those situations. And I think that Deshaun Watson is going to be in more of those high-urgency comeback situations. And so I think he's still going to be a great fantasy pick. It's just there's a little bit more risk without that, you know, very comfortable target who, um, you know, is able to make all those difficult catches, the guy that – Sean Watson looks to on third down. He's had that every year of his playing career, really since high school. Yep, and last year managed to be on separate weeks the overall QB one, two, three, four, and five. So I mean, the upside is absolutely there with him. He gets healthy production from those wide receivers. Look out! The old betting adage is to fade the public, right? Hashtag fade the public. If you follow that logic, then I guess we should be fading the Buccaneers and buying the Patriots. But of course, in fantasy, it's a little different. Tom Brady is the key pivot player there. Are you as high on the Buccaneers as the public seems to be? And are you as low as the, on the Patriots as the public are for fantasy purposes? Um, about even with, uh, with regard to Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, um, you know, have both in the, among the top 12 wide receivers, have Chris Godwin a little bit higher. Uh, I do agree with the public sentiment that Mike Evans' game doesn't quite suit Tom Brady's game at this stage of his career as, the, as well as Chris Godwin's does. Um, Rob Gronkowski, maybe a little bit below uh, consensus. I think he's the tight end nine, and we have him tight end 10. Um, uh, tight end nine in terms of ADP, and we have him as the tight end 10 in our rankings, but not that far off. 
um, Keyshawn Vaughn way lower than the public on, on Keyshawn Vaughn. Um, just the, the hype, you know, again, just really jumped the shark. I mean, I love the landing spot, but not to the extent that I'm willing to take him as, you know, a, a, a low RB2, high RB3. I, I still think that he's more of an RB3, RB4, and that Ronald Jones can be involved in uh, 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 Dare Bowale can absolutely be involved. And Definitely. there have been rumors of them uh, pursuing uh, uh, Devontae Freeman as well. Uh, Tom Brady's ADP, I think, is too high. Uh, he's tight end, or I'm sorry, quarterback nine, I believe, in FFPC ADP. And we have him, I believe, at quarterback 13 or 14. Um, with New England, um, I, way lower than James White. I mean, I think that Tom, way lower on James White. I think that Tom Brady was such an asset for, for James White. He really made James White. And I think that that's going to really be a struggle for James White to keep up that production. With Jared Stidham, I think the Patriots are going to be more of a run-the-ball uh, football team this year that leans on their defense and leans on what is still a, a good offensive line. Um, right there with consensus on Julian Edelman, um, at, way above consensus on Nikhil Harry, who we have, I think, in the, the low wide receiver 40s, and he's like wide receiver uh, 61 or something like that. Last time I checked, which was about a, a week ago, on FFPC ADP. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just, it just kind of, it, it differs from player to player, but, um, I, I would say that th this, this Patriots offense is, is not going to be very explosive. It was not explosive last year with Tom Brady. And I, I don't anticipate it even being as good as it was last year with Jared Stidham. Time for a little redraft lightning round. So in redraft leagues, Evan, who do you like better here for the season? Let's start out with two top running backs, Nick Chubb or Aaron Jones. Pretty close, but um, I think that Aaron Jones was already at really major touchdown regression risk. I think he scored 19 touchdowns last year, and then they drafted a 250-pound running back. So uh, leaning toward Nick, Nick Chubb there. Tight ends, both of them in interesting situations. You have Tyler Higby, who has ever coming back and has a small sample size of massive production, and yep. Hayden Hurst, who hasn't really produced, but as we mentioned, is in a great situation. Higby or Hurst? Don't feel super confident about it uh, because, as you mentioned, I mean, Tyler Higby played 58 games uh, before week 13 of last season, and he went over 50 yards in two of them, uh, which I believe is 3%. And then all of a sudden he explodes, and, you know, we're, we're, we're basing our, our rankings really almost entirely off of a five-game sample, which is a little bit scary. Uh, but I do think that he uh, brings more – I think he's uh, I think he's got more upside than does – Hayden Hurst. And so I, I have Tyler Higby at tight end nine, Hayden Hurst at tight end 11, making the transition to a new offense with a lot of uncertainty. Two receivers on the same team, Cooper Cup or Robert Woods for the Rams with Cooks out and it looks like Josh Reynolds in there as that third wide receiver. Yeah, and I, I really, really like Robert Woods as one of the safest wide receiver two picks this year. But I think that Cooper Cup, again, just has a higher ceiling we saw what he was able to do in the first half of last year. He was you know, the wide receiver two overall. And then defenses really started to gear down on him. You remember he had that four-target, zero-catch game against Pittsburgh. Yep. The, the Rams started using more two tight end sets, and that actually took him off the field, whereas Josh Reynolds played ahead of him in those two receiver sets. Um, and, and I think he kind of wore down in his first year back off of the torn ACL 
now he'll be a full season removed from that injury. He's another contract year player. I think his rapport with Jared Goff is just so bankable, um, and especially in a year with limited practice and preparation. I want to bank on quarterback to wide receiver and tight end connections that are established. You know, Kirk Cousins to um, Adam Thielen, Jared Goff to uh, Cooper Cup. You know, and, and even Robert Woods to, to that ex, you know to to the same extent. Uh, but that's something that I really really want to stress this year when I'm making my picks when I'm on the board. And that's something that, that we can definitely bank on with Cooper Cup. And he just has been a higher ceiling scorer throughout his career than Robert Woods, who's been more of a steady force. And you remember that Robert Woods has, you know, when, when Cooper Cup has been out, he has played a lot of slot. Robert Woods has played a lot of slot. He's not going to get the opportunity to play as much slot with a fully healthy, ready-to-go Cooper Cup. Yeah, Robert Woods, last two years, he has finished, uh, if you look at weeks 1 through 16, of course, because 17 you throw out, he was the wide receiver 9 in PPR, and last year wide receiver 19. So Robert Woods is definitely a wide receiver 2, quote-unquote, that has that upside. Last one here for the redraft lightning round, Sam Darnold or Jimmy G? Oh, I think that Jimmy G uh, is the clear answer here. We we do have the concern that the 49ers are – not going to throw the ball that often, but I do think that they will throw the ball more than they did last year. I don't think their defense is going to be quite as dominant. They traded away DeForest Buckner um, in their second year. Richard Sherman is a year older. Their number two cornerback position was really a you know a musical chair situation last year, and they really didn't improve that. Um, so I think their defense will be a, will regress a little bit. And Jimmy Garoppolo was one of the most efficient quarterbacks in football. Uh, last season. They upgraded his receiving core with Brandon Ayuk. Uh, George Kittle was banged up mightily all last season. I think he's got some um, some positive touchdown regression coming. He's only scored five TDs last year. Go back to his Iowa history. I mean, he, he was a guy that scored on like you know, 20% of his catches or something ridiculous like that. Um, he is a guy that definitely has a 10-touchdown season uh, forthcoming in his future. Uh, Debo Samuel, a, a year older and, and into the system. And the system is so, so bankable uh, with Kyle Shanahan. I mean, I, I think that Jimmy Garoppolo is like a, an interesting long shot uh, MVP bet um, to win NFL MVP if you can get him at like it's a great you know, call. 80, That's like a great six, call. Like, like 60 to, or 80 to 1. Um, you know, he's, he's one of my favorite MVP bets. Let's turn to rookie wide receivers. Each receiver is incredibly talented in a draft that had so many high first round early picks there at wide out. I remember doing the over under there on the bets on the draft, how many receivers are going to go in the first round. Henry Ruggs goes to the Raiders, but of course he's going to be in a situation with Derek Carr, which could be Marcus Mariota, by the way, Evan, because he could do yep. to Carr what Tannehill did to him. You have Jerry Judy in Denver, but Cortland Sutton's there, and the jury's still out on Drew Locke. You have CeeDee Lamb in Dallas, who falls to Dallas because Atlanta makes that mistake of, of course, reaching for their cornerback, but he's there with Gallup and Cooper. And then you have Justin Jefferson in Minnesota, who's stepping in there, who could really have a, a huge target share. Who do you like best of that group? Is it Jefferson just because of the situation? Yeah, right now I'm doing our um, our team previews where I break down every team and each skill position player on every team. And as I was doing the Justin Jefferson write-up, I liked him more and more um, because he's jumping right into that, you know, a, a clear-cut situation where Stephon Diggs is out and Justin Jefferson 
isn't Adam Thielen, although I have him way above consensus in my rankings. You know, there is some risk there. He's, he's now on the wrong side of 30. This is a team that I think is definitely going to throw the ball. Uh, one, one thing that uh, more than they did last year, one thing that stood out to me also was going through Mike Zimmer's history. And he's had some teams that have thrown the ball quite a bit. And the Vikings lost their entire three cornerback nickel set. Um, I think their pass rush is not going to be as good. Ever, Everson Griffin is gone. Um, and I think that they're going to throw the ball more, and that would really bode well for the number two receiver there. I do think that Irv Smith could take a step forward, and I think that Adam Thielen is going to have a big year. Um, but Justin Jefferson has an awful lot of opportunity. With C.D. Lamb, I think, first of all, I think that he's being a little overdrafted. He's right in the, the like on the wide receiver three, wide receiver four fringe. Um, and I think that Michael Gallup is being way underdrafted. And I think that Amari Cooper is being underdrafted as well. Uh, but I, I, he's from an offense standpoint, like you really could not ask for a better situation than what Dallas has going on. I mean, they're going to score a lot of touchdowns. And, you know, even if CD Lamb goes, I don't know, 50 for 750. Uh, I mean, I think he could score like eight or nine touchdowns just because they're they're going to be living in in uh, the, the opposing red zone and they're they're just going to score a lot of TDs. Um, so I, I can I can get behind that a little bit, but yeah, Justin Jefferson definitely a guy that the more that I've looked into him, the more I like him in fantasy. Yeah, that's the thing. If Lamb comes in and reproduces what Randall Cobb did right. last year, that's fifty five receptions, eight hundred twenty eight yards, three touchdowns, but. Cobb was not big in the red zone, only four red zone receptions. Lamb could be much, much bigger than that. So he could siphon away some fantasy points and, and really have some big weeks there as the third wide receiver. He's going to be a lot more potent than Randall Cobb. So I guess the summary here is, Evan, buy on da- Dak Prescott, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, really buy on almost the entire Dallas offense. You know, Zeke Alley, I mean, Tony Pollard is a guy that I want on every single fantasy bench that I have. Um, you know, they're returning four or five offensive line starters. They did lose Travis Frederick, who's a really big loss, but they can replace him with the guy that filled in for Travis Frederick for 16 games and Joe Looney uh, in 2018. I think their their defense is a question mark. I think they're going to be like a splash play defense that allows a lot of points and is actually good in fantasy as well. I'm, I'm buying right on down to the defense and, and Blake Jarwin in, in Dallas. I, I like the whole team. There are some dynasty rookie drafts that still haven't happened or they're, they're about to go off here. Give us a, a late-round rookie dart throw. Some guy that you find yourself in, in some of your dynasty drafts here, RB, wide receiver, lottery ticket guy, maybe even a tight end, who you find yourself taking late in those dynasty rookie drafts and you're saying, you know what, crazier things have happened. Um, I think Adam Troutman is pretty interesting out of Dayton who went to New Orleans in the, I think it was the third or the fourth round, they traded up for him, which I like to see. They, they really traded up for like every guy that they got in the draft. Um, they also traded up for uh, Zach Bond from uh, Wisconsin, and uh, they traded back into the draft to get Tommy Stevens, and they came out with like only four players. But Adam Troutman was one of them, dominant, dominant producer, which is what you want to see from a, an FCS player. Uh, can block a little bit. And jumps into a situation where I don't think necessarily he's going to do a whole lot in year one, um, because just tight ends tend to tend not to, and you know he's an FCS tight end. But I, I like the the draft capital that they invested into him. I like his profile from a production standpoint. 
also also from an athleticism standpoint. Um, and I think that he's going to be the guy there from 2021 moving forward. Jared Cook is now 33 or 34 years old. You know, Josh Hill, we, we kind of we, we've been through that. Um, and I think that they're looking at Adam Troutman to be their their passing t- passing their receiving tight end of the future um, in what historically has been a great offense. I can't draft tight ends early in my redraft leagues, Evan. I can't do it. I, I know you have Kelsey, Kittle, Ertz, Andrews, the big four, but if you're a weight on tight end person or you find yourself missing out early in redraft, who are you targeting there for, for a tight end? I love Jonu Smith. I love Ian Thomas. Who's a guy or maybe two you can pick up late there for tight end in seasonal leagues that maybe if you miss out on those top guys could really do some nice work for you this year? Well, I participated in a, a best ball draft not too long ago with um, Scott Pianowski and, and Michael Salfino. And um, I waited really, really long on tight end. And then like 13th through 15th round, I took um, I took uh, Austin Hooper, who fell away further than I expected. Wow. Yep. Um, and then I and then I went I went tight end three rounds in a, or three rounds in a row. The next guy I took was Ian Thomas, yep. and then I took Jack Doyle. Ah, and, okay. Yeah, so I really like that kind of tight end triumvirate that is really really inexpensive, and you know gets like Ian Thomas is my upside guy, Austin Hooper is my floor guy, and then Jack Doyle is going to be a guy who I think has you know four or five catches uh, more often than not. And is is another floor guy, and I think a guy that is going to mesh really well with uh, Philip Rivers in year one. So I, I think that's just kind of. And then then there is you know Chris Herndon, who had one of the best tight end seasons of all time as a rookie in 2018, uh, or the best one of the best rookie seasons of all time for a tight end in 2018. Really hard luck situation with what happened with him last year. He's one of the few guys that has you know an already established rapport with Sam Darnold left in that pass catcher core they're switching out both of their perimeter receivers for Denzel Mims and um, Rashad Perryman um, Blake Jarwin I mentioned before uh, Eric Ebron is super super cheap and he is you know clearly ticketed to be the main pass catching tight end for um, uh, Ben Roethlisberger and I mean you could get him at like tight end 22 or something like that so I, I think that all of that is just a testament to how deep the tight end position is, and I'm telling you without fail, whenever I take an early tight end, I regret it. And whenever I take, you know, two or three late tight ends, whether it be in season long redraft or, or best ball, I always, always, always like the teams that I draft better when I'm taking those late tight ends, because I think that they're, I think this this is the deepest tight end, um, this is the deepest the tight end position has ever been as long as I've been, you know, really focusing hard on fantasy football. Completely agree. Uh, July 4th coming up here, Evan. Want to get back to some positive things. So we're thinking about barbecue time. I need to know, what does Evan Silva put on his hot dogs? Sauerkraut, ketchup, mustard? What do you do there for July 4th? Ooh, um, definitely brats with mustard and uh, sauerkraut. Absolutely. Sauerkraut's got to be, 100%. Inquiring minds want to know. I'm a truther here for Randall Cobb. I always have been. I don't even think he's 30 yet. And for some reason, even though he burned me last year, D.D. Westbrook, I find myself hanging on. I want to know who you are truther for. Who's your guy that you're having trouble just cutting loose because you still believe in the right situation he could pop or or make some noise? Oh, I mean, Rex Burkhead. (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, I still have, I still own him on, on every dynasty team, you know, and he, he'll, if he hits the, if he hits the waiver wire, like I'm getting him. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I guess it would be Rex Burkhead. And it's not necessarily because I think that he's going to, you know, have some big season, but I, I do think that in the right scenarios, like, you know, there will be like two or three weeks each year where he's startable and I might need, you know, a running back uh, to fill in for bye weeks or, or injuries or whatever. And, um, if I can, if whenever I can get 12 touches out of Rex Burkhead, I, I feel pretty good about that. This has been amazing stuff. Evan, one more question, then I'll let you go here. Just absolutely outstanding. Can't thank you enough. Give me that bold prediction this year. I totally agree with you. I put my rankings together, and I felt a lot better when I saw you talk about Josh Allen. So the one that I've been saying is mine is that I think Josh Allen could be a top three fantasy quarterback this year. That's a good team. He has the Konami code. He's got digs now. And yeah, he's a little erratic, but I, I could see it happening. But what's a bold prediction from you that you're finding yourself saying, you know, this could actually happen this year, and it's it's a high upside play? Well, you, you just stole mine, Mike. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but it's not the same but it's the same player but I, it's just josh josh allen mvp if you could get it at 50 to one i think it's worth it um you know what what are some of the criteria that we look for when we are trying to forecast an mvp and i was i was big on Le- taking shots on lamar jackson last year and he was more at like 80 to one and 60 to one so he was a little bit more of a longer shot um, but I think that Josh Allen is, is in a, a same or a, a, not, not necessarily the same scenario, but also a really good long shot bet. You know, this another sort of like with Arizona pulling Demir Bird and Keyshawn Johnson and Trent Sherfield out of their starting lineup and inserting DeAndre Hopkins. The Bills are doing the same, dropping Stefan Diggs into the position that was previously occupied by Isaiah McKenzie and. Um, who was that guy that they got from the CFL? Duke Williams. Duke Williams. Oh, my God. Yeah. Number 82. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's just a, a massive personnel upgrade. This will be year two with Josh Allen and Cole Beasley and John Brown. And, you know, John Brown, for the first time in his career, was a consistent producer. I mean, he wasn't consistent in Baltimore. He wasn't consistent in Arizona. All of a sudden, he becomes consistent playing with Josh Allen. I get it. Josh Allen is not, you know, your prototype. He's not an accurate passer. Like he's an erratic passer, maybe the most erratic passer in the league. But I think that he is a passer that can be elevated by his teammates. He did take a step forward going from year one to year two. And the, the Bills did not, you know, the, the Bears did, did something similar where they went really all out on Mitchell Trubisky, adding weapons around him, entering his second season. And he was elevated. And he had a much better second season than he did a first season. I mean, he was like number three in QBR. Now, we, we understand that that is, you know, a, a fluke and, you know, a, a phantom ranking. But, but, he, but he was much more productive with a better supporting cast. And the Bears didn't do anything to upgrade his supporting cast entering, entering his third season. The, the Bills did not stop at upgrading his offensive line and upgrading his receivers with John Brown and Cole Beasley and drafting Dawson Knox and um, – you know, they went and freaking got Stefan Diggs. So I, I like the, uh, the approach that I think the Bills understand. I think the Bills themselves understand um, that Josh Allen has these limitations, that they need to continue to put weapons and protection around him. And, you know, you look at the Bills' schedule this year, weeks 1 through 11 in particular. It gets a little tougher late in the season, but who knows what's going to happen to those teams that could suffer injuries, become worse. 
But their their schedule in weeks one through eleven is gorgeous. Um, he is, you know, a top three running quarterback in the NFL. He leads all uh, NFL quarterbacks in rushing touchdowns over the last two years. I, I don't think that they're going to pull back on that. They have continuity coming back with um, Brian Dayball uh, at uh, offensive coordinator. I think that they know how to use Josh Allen. I think they're going to be a good team. I think that they are clearly, I think, the best team in the AFC East. So what are we What are we looking – let's go back to the criteria that we're looking for um, for an MVP forecast. We want them to be playing quarterback. We want them to be on a, uh, a team that we think is going to be winning a lot of football games. Josh Allen clearly checks those two boxes, and I think the arrow is up on him as a player, and he is a dynamic player, even if, you know, he can't throw the – he doesn't know where the ball is going half the time. So – yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. Totally with you. John Brown last year, four, 14.7 fantasy points per game. He's wide receiver 22. He is now the wide receiver two on that team. The yep. Bills have battled under Sean McDermott. Nine and seven make the playoffs in his first year in 2017. Ten and six last year, lose the wild card game at the Texans. They are chomping at the bit to pound the Patriots. And of course, this year, they're probably more vulnerable than they ever have been in, in the Brady Belichick era. They've lost six games in a row. Everything lines up to me to be a really solid Bills year. So as long as he doesn't go nuts there, Allen, and start throwing the ball to the other team, I agree. Everything you're saying, uh, they got Zach Moss at the goal line. They have Devin Singletary, solid defense, well coached. It, it just lines up to me, like you said, the schedule, that this could be a real good year for the Bills. Yeah. I mean, look, if... He's playing quarterback for a team that is 11 and five, you know, far out in front of, of their division race, you know, maybe even goes 12 and four. How can he not at the end of the season be a top 20 MVP candidate? And then he's got the, and then he's got the, um, you know, he's got within his range of potential outcomes, the potential to run for 10 touchdowns and throw for 30 yep. in that scenario, which is very, very realistic. I don't know how he wouldn't be considered even a top 10 MVP candidate. Folks, the great Evan Silva here. Establish the run. Go check it out. Fantastic site. They have all your fantasy information there. He is the godfather. He took a few moments to spend with us here at Rotoviz on the mailbag. Dropped you so much knowledge. You're going to have to listen to this podcast twice. Evan, thank you so much. Really appreciate talking to you here. We've kicked off the season in the best way possible here in the mailbag. Love having you on. Thanks, buddy. Thank you for listening to Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes under the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think, so follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio and at Randall Rant. Make sure you tell a friend, and don't forget to sign up for a 10% discount on our podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. It's a no-brainer, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, this is Megan Rapino, and I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts.
Get really into your favorite shows and movies all in one place with Flex, a 4K streaming box you get free with Xfinity Internet. Find what you want with your voice on Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, and more. No more jumping in and out of apps. And get Peacock Premium at no additional cost. It's a way better way to watch. Learn more at Xfinity.com slash Flex. Restrictions apply requires postpaid Xfinity Internet excluding Internet essentials, one device included. Subscriptions required to access streaming services.